0: You yeah, have your Bible's going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We will primarily be in verses 19 and t- through 21. The family dynamic has many layers to it. Oh, I look over here and, and make sure I just kind of look from here over this way. Y'all are sitting right there, so I'll just stand like this. Um, but the family dynamic has many layers to it. Relationships in general have many have multiple layers. Have you ever felt taken for granted? Parents, have you ever struggled with frustration that it seems your children are not grateful for all you do or have done for them? Maybe as an adult and possibly a parent, you now look back at your upbringing and how you, as you were being raised, you realize you, weren't, you took your parents for granted and you did what you're getting now, I guess justice is very poetic. In so many ways, the church relationships can be so similar. Pastors can be taken for granted. Biblical advice from another believer or church leader is dismissed. Church family members begin to listen to outside noises and begin to listen to advice that goes contrary to Scripture but have been deceived into thinking it's true. When you put all of this and other stuff like it together, you find out that church is messy people are messy. And if we are to be in the business of doing the work of the ministry, ministry is people, it's going to be messy. Even those of us who, you know, who are the core, in a sense, that are here on a Sunday night on a regular basis. And there are those that are core to the church that Are heavily involved it can still be messy doing ministry with them sure we've never ever gotten frustrated at one another we've never lashed out at others we've always been perfect little churchgoers (laughs) well paul dealt with a mess in a big way in the church of corinth I'm not going to take the time to go into all the background study of the church of Corinth tonight. because I think many of us here have heard it enough to know that the church in Corinth was a mess. There was incest going on in the church at one point. As we see in in 1 Corinthians 5, a bunch of sin issues going on in the church at Corinth. And Paul writes letters to the church at Corinth because he's concerned for them. You know, people were, were, there was false teachers like the Judaizers were constantly trying to derail the preaching of the gospel. They sought to derail the church through false thinking that opposed God's truth. And today we have people that are trying to get the church. There's false thinkings out there that we, if not careful, we can fall susceptible to. The truth that Paul had shared with the church in Corinth now through two visits is something that he continues to want them to understand the whole first letter of the Corinthian church, to the Corinthian church detailed ripe immorality and passiveness to take care of sin in the church. Here in his second letter, he expresses a similar concern for their genuine devotion to Christ. Paul's heart for the Corinthian church was heavy, and his love for them motivated him to not let them slide by in their sin. And I alluded to really the big idea tonight I alluded to it this morning by way of application, uh, a point of application this morning. But tonight, I really want us to look at how are we willing, how are we ministering to one another on a spiritual level? The main principle this evening, and sorry I didn't make it a little bigger if it's harder to read for you tonight, but ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for growth in Christ. You cannot look throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament and, and see any Lone Ranger Christians. You just can't. I mean, I can find, I can, just as hard as I look for that, I, sometimes I've joked around that as a pastor, the part of pastoral ministry that I've least liked is why I'm so glad that I'm an assistant and our pastor's very good at it, and that's administration. That is, of all the responsibilities of being a pastor, that is the one that I would say, I honestly will admit, I least like. I'm not very good at it. That's probably why. (laughs) I'll be honest. And I keep looking in scripture to see where a pastor doesn't have to administer anything, and I can't find it. So I guess I have to keep doing it. (laughs) Well, likewise. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says that we aren't to confront one another with sin. And I I use the word confront, sometimes that word scares us. It really simply is just coming alongside someone else and making sure that they're living right. It might have to be firm at times, and sometimes it's just bringing your arm around them, saying, hey, how are you doing spiritually? Well, you shouldn't be doing that. How can I help? How can I encourage you? How can I walk through you, with you on this? See, ministering to one another on a spiritual level involves being open and vulnerable, and I think this is why we struggle. How many of you here like people being in your business? <laughs> None of us naturally like it. But it, because it involves us being vulnerable. Vulnerable. we we don't like people knowing that we are, we have problems spiritually. I remember, and I use this illustration, I think, I don't remember where I used it. I think I just mentioned it to someone recently. But growing up at camp, we had invitations at every chapel service. And the amount of chapel services that I went to, I can't even count. It's been so many. And there are times where And the big idea for an invitation is what? It's to help an aspect of accountability, an aspect of all of that, so that other believers can pray for you on what you've been doing, how God's working in your life. And I remember times where I'd be under the preaching of God's word and the Spirit of God was convicting me and I knew I needed to make that a public, more public and I needed to go forward and just pray and ask the Lord, Lord, as I'm making this public profession in essence to make and commit this decision to you, I'm sitting in my seat and I'm like, if I go forward, they're going to think that I'm a, I, I, that my dad's a horrible dad because I'm a wicked kid. I'm the, staff, I'm the camp director's kid and I'm supposed to be spiritual. Therefore, I'm a horrible person. They're not going to like me anymore. Therefore, I'm going to be a bad testimony to my dad. They're not going to want my dad to be the camp director anymore because he's... And, and my mind just races. It was all selfish thinking. And as Christians, sometimes we, we, we have that same kind of mentality. We don't want to voice what we are struggling with spiritually because that means that person or, that, or people in the church might think I'm a bad person. Well, we all are bad people. <laughs> Apart from the sanctifying work of Christ, we are bad people. And it's important, and again, I'm not here tonight to say that we need to have this huge long list of all every little nitty-gritty detail of your sin. We're we're not priests in that way. But we are to come alongside, and Paul, we see throughout the New Testament, how many times is sin pointed out direct. Paul's constantly praying, and we're going to see that tonight. And desiring for them to do what's right. And so our, main, our first main point really uh, is this. That we must have a strong, loving, and edifying concern over sin in others' lives. And really I want, I want to take the text tonight really from Paul's perspective more so than, than the Corinthians' perspective. I want us to try to put ourselves in and really learn from Paul's example. And yes, we shouldn't live as the Corinthian church lived. But I really want us to see Paul's heart, and and that's really the heart that we need to have. Paul had a strong, loving, and and an edifying concern over the sin in other people's lives. How concerned are you for people in our church that they grow spiritually? How concerned? How concerned? Paul had such a strong burden to see the Corinthian church live righteously. Let's look at, our, look at our text. Look at verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 12. All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am, I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish, And may be found by you to not be what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, anger, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past. And not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced." Just a cursory reading of this, you can see Paul's concern. You can see Paul's concern. Paul's concern was really, and it sounds very pastoral in the way he's concerned here, a pastor is a shepherd and a guide to lead, to prod, correct, protect their sheep, Paul understood that many would be possibly or were actually viewing his letter as a personal defense. And he says, this isn't a personal defense. We speak from the authority that God has given to us in Christ. Paul's purpose to going and speaking and and, and sharing his concern for the Corinthian church was not self-gratify. It wasn't to self-gratify. It wasn't to even lift himself up above the Corinthian believers. It wasn't you know, a self-promoting message of listen to me or else because I, have, I am your authority. Paul here was actually not heavy-handed at all. In fact, you see that alluded to in verse, 21, in verse 20 where it says, that, where in the middle of the verse, it says, And may be found by you to not be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife. He's speaking in in a term of possibility. He's not even writing to them right now saying that I know for sure all this stuff is happening in the church. He is so concerned that they are living right that he is writing here and saying this possibility, I am am fearful of the fact that I might show up and you are going to have this sin in your life and I'm going to find you not as you as I desire you to be and you're going to find me not as what I, how, I, how you desire me to be. And what he means there is the idea of heavy-handed, that he's going to come in and have to be really firm with them because they're living in sin. Nobody likes that kind of confrontation when it has to be that firm. I mean, as a kid, I didn't like it. As an adult, I don't like it. But we see Paul's strong, loving, and edifying concern Paul strongly desired them to grow in their Christ likeness. See, when it comes to ministering to people, it will get messy. Serving others is messy, sad, happy, stressful, elating, discouraging, and joyful. How many of you have ever been to Cedar Point? It's kind of like working with people. Go on a roller coaster, and it's like working with people. It's like working with Christians. <laughs> it's this the whole time. That's not a bad thing. We're human. And we're, we're, we're not perfect. And so, yeah, there are going to be sad moments. There are going to be moments of elation and joy and, and success and, and, and victory. And then there's going to be those moments where you're with that person and you are literally there. They're down in the gutter. Of, of They've been defeated by sin and you come alongside them as Paul is here saying, I'm here. Let's look at scripture. Let's let's work through this. Don't let it con- overcome your life. I'm here for you. It might be that it is ultim- it is sad and it is discouraging at times. But we know that we have the power of God on our side. We have the authority of God's word on our side. And when we are, when we are doing that and we are ministering to one another with, in the, with Christ at the center of it, with God's word at the center of it, there is joy that we can have even in the midst of an emotional sad time in our lives. When my grandfather passed away, I wasn't elated. <laughs> but I sure did have a joy in my heart because I knew he was with the Lord. So, God allows us with our emotions to both be joyful in a sense of contentment in Christ and still dealing with sadness. In fact, Paul here says that for I am afraid. He mentions really three different ways that he's fearful here of, of the people here, of the church in Corinth, the Corinthian Christians. He says, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish. I've already kind of mentioned this But it's never fun to go and and have to do the confrontation. Paul didn't want to. He was afraid of it. He was fearful of it. And the neat thing that, just to to go with this, that if, if we are in the practice of coming alongside one another and helping one another in the moments that we are struggling with sin and we're being open and And honest with one another, what happens is it now becomes sometimes preventative maintenance. You know, when you get asked the question, how are your devotions going? They're not confronting you in sin. Now, if you I haven't been reading them. Well, there's a different, but there's a conversation you can now have, and you can put your arms around each other and say, hey, help me. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And because of the struggle with devotion, you're gonna, the conclusion is that you're probably struggling with the sin more because you're not in the Word of God. How, did, how was he fearful that he was going to find them? Well, first of all, he, he was fearful that he was going to find them where there is perhaps strife. How did he think he was going to positive? What does he mean here by strife? How he might find them? This is the idea of quarreling and arguing. It entails the act of sowing discord and disunity. He was afraid that he may come and find that there was disunity being sown in the church. Folks, if you have any sense of any disunity or discord between brothers or sisters in Christ, we need to confront that you can be the one that confronts that. It doesn't have to be me or Pastor or Carl. It can be you. In fact, if you go other places in the New Testament, it encourages us to go alongside and encourage and promote unity in the church. Paul was concerned that if he might come, and really the context here, there's was, there was an aspect. If you remember, what, what was going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? There is what, I am of Apollos, I am of... And that there is actual potential cliques, so to speak, and parties, so to speak, in Corinth. And those who were trying to, the rival claims of, against Paul's opponents, and things that way. But there was strife, he feared. He feared that there might be jealousy. This is the idea, Paul here is speaking, would relate to the idea of party or group factions. Paul rebukes them to not argue over who you are of. In 1 Corinthians 1, 11-13, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he goes on. We can't have jealousy in the church. Paul was concerned about that. He was concerned that there were angry tempers. The word here, the Greek word that's used here is, is dealing with the, the idea of outburst of anger, the outburst of passion. We can't be angry people. We can't be angry people. He was concerned that there are disputes. This, the word here that Paul is using refers to that of personal disputes. It refers to selfishness in a rivalry sense. And it carries the idea of resentfulness. We can't be resentful towards people, towards other brothers and sisters in Christ, to our church family members. We're family. We all go, and, and, and some of you may have families where this is just second nature. There's just resentment in the family and how you know how much it tears you up to know there's resentment in your family, between family members, then why do we allow it in the church? Why do we allow it in the church? Slander. This entails speaking evil and abusive of others. He was concerned that there might be gossip. This is the idea of secretly speaking ill of others and attacking others. That of Arrogance. The idea of being inflated an inflated view of one's self-importance. Look how special I am. <laughs> and disturbances. When I first read this word, I was like, does that mean someone gets up in the middle of his services and walks out on him? No, that's not what Paul's talking about. When he's talking about public disorder, it's talking about being unruly and rebellious, really a mob-like action. We can't be an unruly people. We can't let people live unruly these are all sinful sinful behaviors paul was fearful that the church was practicing likewise we need to be alert and concerned that these same things are not happening in our church and not just this list but we could expand the list as paul does in other places in the new testament these are things that are not to be a part of the church if any of this is happening in our church, we must be like Paul and confront it. And in, in, this, in this context, how does he confront it? It's really like he's putting his arm around them saying, hey, I don't, I don't want to have to take care of this. When I show up again, I don't want this happening. I care too much about you. I want to see you growing. Because what does he say at the end of verse 19? Why does he teach? Why is he teaching and preaching what he's preaching? It says, and all for what? Your upbuilding. That word is edification. He wants them to be built up. He wants them to be built up in the Lord. He's like, I don't want to have to come and, and see that there's sin in the church that I have to take care of. I want to come because I want to see you growing. It's really a different tone from here as he is at t- speaking to the church in Thessalonica. It's a whole different tone. There's a level of excitement when he's writing and praying for the church in Thessalonica because they were acting completely different than the church in Corinth. Paul's case he, is he's not physically present and still confronted that sin even if it was possibility of being true. He didn't want to show up and have to deal with it. This leads to the second fear Paul had, and the second fear Paul had was that he would be humiliated by God before the Corinthians. When I first read this part, I was like, what does it mean? I really, really wrestled with this phrase. And there wasn't a lot on it. But I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. Like, what is, it, what is Paul talking about when he's talking about that he's that God would humiliate him? Because in our minds, if, if I were to say, I'm going to go and humiliate Mike, how many of you would say that is a righteous thing to do? <laughs> no one would say that. Why? Because it's not. In our minds, we think humiliate means make fun of and, and tear down and, and all those things. What Paul is really talking about here is that If Paul shows up and sees the sin of the Corinthians, God would humble Paul through him seeing their sinfulness. Those of you who are parents here, maybe you can liken it, maybe this will be a good illustration for you, or even as a kid you can understand this, or an adult kid. But when as a parent you see your children living in sin, or sinning, Habitually, or they're struggling with sin. It what it brings you low. Like what have where did I make a mistake? Where did I where did I fail? What Paul is saying here is if he were if he shows up and there's sin in the church, it literally is God is going to bring him low, saying it isn't about you. there's an element of Paul struggling with the idea of, hey, it's not about me. I'm not the one that's going to change them. So he feared that. The Corinthian Christians had not lived out the biblical teaching they had received from Paul, and it is in this lowness we see Paul's third fear. Paul's third fear involved that of mourning over the Corinthian Christians' unrepentant sin. He was fearful that, he says, I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past. So he's speaking even to what has already happened, what he's already confronted. Who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Paul lists the sin that he mourned over them, not repenting of. The three sins he mentions are all words relating to sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 5.2 gives us the illustration of this. He says, and it's actually the only other time that this Greek word, that he, the word he uses here for mourn, this is the only other place that this word is used. And it's in 1 Corinthians 5.2. He says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. He's actually calling the church out for not dealing with the sin in the church. Saying, you haven't mourned over this. You haven't mourned over this sin. And here he's saying, I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. We can't let one another go through life with unrepentant sin. The church was not taking care of the sin, but rather continuing on without confronting it. It's a sure way to not let the blessing of God happen and fall on our church. And I'm encouraged, by the way, just as, just as one of your pastors, God has been bringing, I don't know if you've noticed, we've been having quite a few people walk through our doors lately. I hope it excites you. We had more visitors again this morning. It is exciting me. It means that we're, do, that we're doing something God wants us to do. Now we can't stop. Stop. And so you can almost even look at this message as somewhat preventative maintenance in our lives. Only you and the Lord between you and the Lord do you know if there's sin in your life. But I think the closer that we learn to learn, get with one another as a church family that bond is something that is so exciting. And it's so life-giving. And if you've ever been in a church where it's it's just thriving that meant it it is like oh it's just riveting the closest thing that I've ever experienced is working at Christian Camp as a counselor because everybody that I'm working with wants to serve the Lord and loves the Lord and wants to do what's right and we're and we are in many ways we were confessing our sin to one another they would put us in these small groups every Monday and we were the same people all summer long and we're sharing, hey, yeah, I really struggled. I had this camera who was really annoying this last week and I really struggled. Will you please help me not to pray for me that I don't have that same frustration again this week? We're getting together during the week and praying together. Every night before a chapel service, all of us counselors got together and we prayed for the evening service together. For not just us and that we are right with the Lord, but that the campers will get right with the Lord. How concerned are you over the sin of another person's life, the, the the walk, the spiritual walk of those in this church? Are you living in a way that's going to help edify others? I normally don't use this many personal illustrations, but they keep coming to my mind. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I remember I was on a senior trip, and there were some of my classmates. We were at a theme park for our one fun day that we got to have outside of all the other educational days. And we were walking around the theme park, and, and they were having an inappropriate conversation, a few of them that I was with. So I did what I thought was a fine thing to do me and one of the other guys walked off and met up with the rest of our class which was all girls so that was kind of fun um i get home and i tell my dad about it and my dad's like aaron why didn't you say something why didn't you speak up because i didn't want to I thought I did the right thing, but I was just walking away. He's like, Aaron, you allowed them to continue in sin. As a brother in Christ, you should have spoken up and encouraged them to do what's right. So my dad had me go to school the next day, even though we didn't have school. All of us seniors were there to get ready for graduation. And I went to those four individuals and I apologized to them for it. That was hard. Two of them responded well and two of them just blew me off. But you know what? Those two that responded well, I'm still friends with to this day. And I know they're living for the Lord. I do know that. We must have a strong, loving, and edifying concern over sins and over the sin in others' lives. Which leads us to the second point we must personally make repentance of sin a habit in our lives. Sorry for the bad grammar of this word for all you grammaticists. That's even a word. But we must personally make repentance of sin a habit in our own lives. We need to make sure that we're always right with God. We can't let sin fester. Repentance over sin is vital for the believer. We see what? Why is it important? Well, in chapter 13, Paul goes on and he mentions multiple times what he's praying for them. He desires for them to live right. Clearly, the theme of repentance is all through this. It is us impacting others to the glory of God. We need to Then see here we need Paul even talks about here doing a self excuse me doing a self evaluation look at verse five of chapter thirteen test yourselves to see if you are in the faith examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test so you know the list that Paul gives at the end of chapter twelve. Are any of those in your life? What sin is in your life? I encourage you to go home tonight and just do a biblical self-evaluation of your life. Is the Spirit of God convicting you of anything this evening? See, for all of us here tonight, we can look at this passage from two perspectives. And we really should be identifying with both perspectives. That is really this idea of helping others and making sure that we're right with God ourselves. One commentator said this. He said, It's not any different today. Love the church, serve her, spend and be spent, seek souls, and your heart will know an index of fears unknown to the uncommitted heart. But you also know joys that are unknown to the self-serving. I rewrote that in layman's terms. (laughs) We need to love one another. Serve one another. Exert all of our energy towards one another. Look for the redemptive opportunity God gives us. In doing this, we will experience the fear of someone falling in sin, rejecting the gospel, and potentially walking away from Christ but it should not deter us. Paul was not deterred, but rather mourned over the sin and did not give up the up on the Corinthians. When was the last time you just mourned over the sin in your own life or even the sin of others? You just were brought to a breaking point. When was the last time you can remember that you were truly broken over your sin? Paul continued to minister to them biblical truth even when it was not always joyous. Serving one another is going to be messy. We should not be scared of the messiness, but all the more wrap our arms around each other as we seek wisdom from God to walk through life with each other. I truly believe the more we as a church follow Paul's example, the closer our church family will grow to Christ and one another. I truly believe. If we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to do it together. We can't do it. Someone here, someone there, we can't. If I were to ask for some of you to tell me how you feel when you come home from work, by God's grace, I don't get beat up at work. Well, sometimes Carl and Dwight beat up on me, but for the most part, I don't get beat up on at work. But I know some of you men, some of you ladies, you go to work, and you come back feeling exhausted and, and, and wasted emotionally or mentally, sometimes maybe even physically. That's what the church is here for, to help even so you don't fall into the wrong thinking and say, oh, woe is me, or name the litany of things when you are struggling with things, how Satan and your flesh can so creep in that's what the church is for. Yeah, it's messy. We should enjoy mess. How many of you do not enjoy a good food fight? Come on, raise your hand. They're awesome. I loved it when they made it an activity at camp. It was just literally taking flour and chocolate syrup and maple syrup and throwing it at each other. It was awesome. Like a big herd of elephants, we went rinsed off in the lake. So it was a nice cloud of white water in the lake afterwards. But Paul's heart, he continues on, and we don't have time to go through all of chapter 13. But he goes in and he says multiple times. He says, Look at verse 9. Oh, actually, go, up to, go to verse 7. It says, Now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear proved, but that you may do what is right. Paul's heart, again, is what? That they do right and not wrong. Is our heart that? Look at down, verse 9. For rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. Are you praying for one another to be made complete in Christ? He continues on. Look at, again, he references back he starts talking about having to come to them again. He says, For this reason I am writing these things while absent so that when present, I need not use what? Severity. Paul doesn't want to come to them and say, Hey, and be hard-handed and reprimanding. Because it's in accordance that, that, that reprimanding would be in accordance with the authority that God had given him, not for tearing them down, so when someone comes to you with the right attitude and the right heart and comes and puts their arm around you spiritually and says, hey, I want to help you here. How can I help you with this struggle that you're having? They're not there to tear you down. They're not to, to, to puff themselves up and to tear you down. They're there to come alongside you and help you and encourage you to do what's right. And this is the attitude that we have to have with One another. And then verse 11, here's how he wants them to be. This is how we should want all of us to be. Rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now this next one we don't need to do on a regular basis. But greet one another with a holy kiss. We need to show love to one another. Show concern to one another. He finishes his letter here by giving these positive attitudes. And these positives are what we need to encourage and reinforce in one another's lives. Because again, what is our main idea tonight? Ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for our spiritual growth. If we're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to grow spiritually, it's not just going to be on you. And that's why it's vital to be actively involved in the local church. The church is not this building. Actively involved means actively involved with every single church family member. Now, obviously with 100, we don't have bandwidth. I'm not saying that we need to spend 40 hours a week with everybody in the church. (laughs) It's virtually impossible. But you know what will happen? As we continue to build relationships with one another and they become deeper, you know what's going to happen? someone that you may not be meeting with on a regular basis, you know how you're going to be knit in a tighter way than you ever thought you would have been. How many of you have a spiritual friend that you see maybe once every couple years, few years, or maybe even longer, but when you're together with them, it's like you never left? Do you know why that is? It's because your relationship is deeper than who the Lions actually winning four games this year. It's better than, so what's the weather outside? It's deep. It's meaningful. It's real. That's what we need as a church. It needs to be ever-growing. We should never be content. We need to be involved with one another. Because ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for spiritual growth in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you for who you are, Lord, I, I thank you for the example of Paul here in this text. Now I pray that we would live as such. Yes, Lord, we don 't want to be as the Corinthian church, but really we wanted to focus tonight, Lord. I felt as you wanted us to focus on the need for us to be heavily involved in one another 's lives, on a spiritual level, on a deeper on, on a level that is all about who you are and growing in you and, and knowing you more personally and doing the work of the ministry. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. and It is in your name we pray. Amen.